This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. I read something the other day on Facebook that said that kids starting high school this year would read about 9-11 in the history books because they weren't alive during that time, which made me feel old. And also, of course, made me think about 9-11. Everyone remembers where they were on that day. Anyone that was alive could tell you the story of exactly what they were doing and exactly the fear and the heartache and the anger and all of the other emotions that gripped us that day and as the events unfolded. And even the days following, as so many questions were really up in the air, No one knew what to expect next because we had never experienced or seen or felt anything of that magnitude in our lifetimes. And there was so much happening. And I remember where I was at that time in my life because I was 11 days away from getting married on September the 11th of 2001. And I remember the fear that I felt that day. I remember the anger I felt that day. I remember the heartache that I felt that day, and I remember exactly where I was. I was a part-time youth pastor at a church, and my father-in-law wanting to know, well, besides this part-time youth pastor thing, how are you going to take care of my daughter? I thought it's probably a pretty good idea to get another job. So I got a job working at a munitions plant, putting together ammunition for the military. And so I was working in a bomb plant, literally putting together bombs. I was putting uh, the particular factory I worked in. um, We built all sorts of things. We built the Patriot missile. um, We built the Hellfire missile. We built tank rounds. And then the department I worked in, we built M80 mortar rounds. They looked like the um, footballs, the Nerf footballs with the little tails on the end, you know, that uh, you see that they put down into the mortar gun and they shoot off. That's where I was on September 11th, putting together bombs. And as we were building these bombs, I'll never forget it, one of my co-workers drove to our building because all of the buildings out on this campus were all separated. So each individual building that built the different piece of artillery was in a different building, and they were separated by miles. So that way if you know, one of them went up, you know, that wouldn't start a chain reaction where they all would go up. And so for us to go on a break, It took about five minutes to get to our break room. We'd have to get in our vehicles and literally drive to the break room. And my buddy, James Taylor, as funny as that is, James Taylor came. He actually busted up in our building, and James said, Guys, guys, they just hit the Twin Towers. Who hit the Twin Towers? We don't know. All we know is that the Twin Towers have been hit. Get to the break room now. We jumped into our cars, and we rushed as quickly as we could to the break room because that's where we could see the events unfolding on television and where we were to await further instruction, because being in uh, a, a plant that builds artillery for the military, we were on the target list for terrorists, and we knew that. That was part of our training, and we had different evac plans and different things like that we have been trained to do. And so we're wondering, are we next? Because nobody knew. You know, Nobody knew what was coming next. And we got dismissed to go home to work, I mean, to go, to go back home from work. And on my way home, which was about an hour's drive back to my house, 
um, the first place I wanted to go was to see my fiance, who was still living with her parents. And so I pull in to go see my fiance. As soon as I walked in the doors, I wanted to say, are you watching what's happening on TV? And sure enough, she was. And as soon as I walked through the doors, I wasn't there five minutes. And my fiance at the time and I, we saw the first building um, come down live on television. And that was about the time span that, from when the, 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 the first plane hit and when I got home and we saw that thing fall together. And just the fear and the terror and all those things. And then the very next day, I was wondering, are we going to go back to work? And sure enough, they said, go ahead and come on back to work. But if you remember, President Bush asked that everyone would take their lunch hour and spend that time praying as a nation. He just called for nationwide prayer on the lunch hour of September the 12th. Well, our plant was about 300 or so people that worked out there. And... um, Everyone knew that I was a Christian. They knew that I was a youth pastor. I had only worked out there a few months. And um, I was asked constantly by people, would you pray for me? I'm 19 years old. I've worked out here just a few months, you know. And people are wanting me to minister to them. They're asking me questions. I'm 19 years old. I didn't have a lot of answers, but I just saw the opportunity to be able to pray for people. And then the head of the plant, came to me and he told me, he said, Derek, he said, we want to do what President Bush asked us to do. He said, would you be willing to lead the entire plant in prayer? And so I said, wow, yeah, a- absolutely. And so they got me a microphone and they had a little thing set up there uh, to where I was going to pray. And I said, why don't we get everyone to just stay outside of this break room and why don't we all just join hands in a big circle and let's pray. And that's what we did. We had 300 men and women all around this munitions plant and they were all holding hands together and I got to lead them in prayer and that changed the opportunities that I had from that day forward as I worked there. I didn't work there much longer because the church eventually made me full-time just a few short months later but in the short time span that I had there there were so many opportunities that God used of me having the opportunity to be able to pray and minister to our entire plant on a lot different things that affected people more so than just September the 11th. So God can take a tragedy and take something that was meant for evil and that was evil and he can turn it around and he can use it for his glory. And there is an opportunity oftentimes in that tragedy if we will see it for us to be used by God to further what he wants to do in you and through you because he knows that people are hurting. He knows people are scared. He knows that fear would want to dominate people's lives. But you and I, who call Christ our Lord and our Savior, we should be about a different agenda, a kingdom agenda, one that's not driven by fear, but one that says, I know that you're looking for answers. Let me show you the answer. His name is Jesus. Amen, somebody. And God used me in that circumstance. And in that moment, I wasn't looking for that. It wasn't like, hey, I wonder how God is going to use me here today at work. No, it just happened. It was like it was thrust upon me. I didn't say, hey, I'll volunteer to pray. I didn't say, hey, I'll volunteer to counsel people that are two, three times my age. I'll volunteer to be a listening ear and pray for these people going through these difficult situations. I I didn't ask God to do that. It just kind of happened. It was an opportunity that the enemy meant for destruction. God turned around and used 
for his glory. And so the title of my message this morning, if you're taking notes, is Opportunities to Grow, because God's kingdom agenda is full of opportunities. They're everywhere. God thrusts us into situations that literally force us to grow. He didn't ask my permission that day. God didn't say, is it okay? I'm going to lay out this grand plan, and if it's cool with you, you're going to have all these opportunities to really move my kingdom agenda forward in people's lives and in this area. Is that okay with you? No, he didn't. I was just thrust into that moment, and I had an opportunity to how I would respond to the opportunity that was in front of me. Because I can't control the situation, but I can control how I respond to it. So when an opportunity presents itself, am I going to respond in a way that's going to move God's kingdom agenda forward, or am I going to run away from that situation? You see, God's not forcing you to grow. He won't force you to grow. God is not going to force something upon you, but He will put you into a situation that gives you an opportunity to grow. When you find yourself in an uncomfortable circumstance, you can either turn away from it, Or you can embrace it. You can run away from something that's uncomfortable, or you can run head-on into it and say, God, I see this as an opportunity, or help me to see it as an opportunity. Help me to see what I'm not seeing so I can grow through this. Because you and I, man, especially as Americans, we are wired to pursue comfort. We are wired to pursue easy. If it makes my life easier or more comfortable, I don't care what it costs, I want it. Nobody goes to the car dealership and says, what's the most uncomfortable riding car you got? That's the one I want. (laughs) Nobody says to the furniture salesman, hey, give me the most uncomfortable chair that you got. I'm going to sit in and watch the Packer game today just so I can be uncomfortable. (laughs) No, we want to find the most comfortable thing that we can with the fastest lever action possible so we can jump out of our chair and yell at the referee on TV. You know, you just wear that chair out, man. I mean, you know, up and down, up and down. You jump out of the chair, get back in it, jump out of the chair, get back in it. Now, I don't watch football as much as I know a lot of people do. I'm a basketball guy, and you guys know that I love watching the Bucks. And when I watch basketball on TV, I'll yell at the TV and, you know, yell at the players because I think that they can hear me. To, so much to the point that my children, I remember one time I was going to sit down and watch a game and my kids were downstairs in the basement with me and they said, Daddy, are you about to watch basketball? And I said, yeah. And they said, could you not yell at the TV because it scares us. <laughs> to effectively communicate to those who are on the other side of the television, you need a good comfortable chair so you can leap out of it quickly and point your fingers and yell, and cheer on your team, or see that foul or that play that the referees did not see. But we want comfort, man. We don't want difficulty. We're looking for easy. We're looking for comfortable. But as long as you stay comfortable, you're not going to grow. As long as you keep pursuing your quest for comfort, you're never going to grow because growth doesn't come through sitting in your comfortable chair. Growth doesn't come through doing the same things you've always done. Growth comes from seeing a challenge as an opportunity and deciding, I'm going to move forward even though I'm quite well aware it's going to be uncomfortable. Because it will be uncomfortable. God never promised that growth and change would be uncomfortable. 
There will be growing pains. There will be difficult things you'll have to go through. There will be things that aren't second nature or natural to you that you need to push through. But because you keep moving through and you recognize that I can grow if I keep moving forward, you're willing to just go ahead and keep moving on instead of allowing the situation to intimidate you or to cause you to be passive. One of the biggest things that I've struggled with in my personal leadership has been having hard conversations with people because I don't like to do that. And maybe you're like me, or maybe you're that weirdo that loves having hard conversations with people. Nobody really likes having hard conversations with people when you have to be very direct with truth that's uncomfortable to give. But being in the position that I'm in, I'm constantly given opportunities to share hard truths with people. Sometimes it's with an employee, sometimes it's with a church member, sometimes it's with another pastor in town, sometimes it's with a friend, sometimes it's with someone who asks me a question that if I'm going to be true to who I am and answer it correctly, I know that I'm wagering the possibility of really offending or maybe even losing relationship with the person over my answer. And so I'm put in situations all the time where I have to give hard truths to people. Every week I could go, oh, we could skip over that scripture. And we could just excuse it away or maybe just not even mention it because there would be too much explaining of difficulty there. Or I can say, no, i got to say what is difficult to say, even in the situation where I'm talking to hundreds of people, to make sure that they understand the truth because none of us are going to grow if we never go through those things that are more difficult. And so one of the things that I have grown in, that God has grown my personal leadership in and having those hard conversations, is when I see those and I know that they're coming, They never get easier, but I recognize that they're going to come and I recognize that they're going to be difficult. And before I'll have those conversations, I will physically take a deep breath and I'll go, all right, God, just give me wisdom and help me to say only the things that are going to bring you glory. And then I have to just step into it because if I keep running away from it or excusing it or justifying my running away from it, oh, I don't really need to have that conversation. It'll it'll probably be okay. That situation will probably take care of itself. If we keep doing that, then we're doing others a disservice, and we're not growing. We're just more interested in preserving our own comfort, and we're only interested in pleasing people and making sure that we look good in front of them. And that's not right. That's self-driven, not kingdom agenda-driven. Amen, somebody? And so sometimes you've got to do the difficult things. And I talked to another leader. Matter of fact, he's a guy that's in law enforcement, and he and I were having a conversation, and he was telling me one time that... I know it's difficult to have those hard conversations, he said, and they always hurt. He said, and you always wonder about the the wager that you're placing out there of how this is going to impact my relationship with the person. Do I have the relational chips to be able to wager in this conversation to where maybe I'm not going to have this relationship anymore? Do I really have the coin invested with this person to have that conversation? Or is this going to bankrupt my relationship with the person because they're not going to understand it's going to be an overdraw of my investment with that person? And, And he said, I know how that feels. He said, being in law enforcement, I have to have those conversations all the time. And I asked him this question. I said, well, does it ever get easier? He said, no, it doesn't. He said, matter of fact, the day that it gets too easy for you is the day that you need to quit. He said, the day that you stop caring about people, he said, and the day that you can just walk into those scenarios and you can just inflict damage on someone by giving them truth without considering how they will receive the truth, he said, and you're not even caring about the individual, you just are going to tell them what you got to tell them and you don't even care how they respond or how they receive it. He said, that's the day you need to quit. 
Is that because your heart's gotten too hard and you've missed the care for people? He said, you always have to care. And this guy being in law enforcement has to deal with a whole heck of a lot more than I'll ever have to deal with so far as the confrontations he has to have. And he says, it still hurts when I have to do things that are difficult. He said, it's not easy, but you keep moving forward because you know that it's the right thing to do. Amen, somebody? You see, sometimes God will call you to do things or call you to embrace things that are really uncomfortable. You don't want to do those things. And you can run away from those things because that would be the easier thing to do. It would be easier for you to avoid having that conversation with your spouse. It would be. And you can just say, well, they, they, they probably know. And you live in the land of assumption. You live in the land of just hoping things work themselves out instead of you having that hard conversation that you know you've been needing to have or that confession that you need to make to your spouse about what you've been struggling with, about what's been going on in your heart. You know you need to do that, but because of your shame, because of your fear of not being able to control how they'll react, you don't want to have the conversation. And so you just avoid it and hope that everything work out, works out on its own. But I would challenge you today to see that as an opportunity to grow. It's not going to be easy for you to sit down and actually create a budget and stick to it in order to get your financial house in order. That's not easy. It's not fun. Except for a few people. Nah, they like doing that. But a lot of people, that's not easy to sit down and decide, what am I going to say no to financially? But if you want to be financially successful, and you want to live well beneath your means and make sure that you're stewarding your finances well, it's going to be uncomfortable. And there's going to be opportunity for you to throw your hands up in the air and go, it's not worth it. There's too much stuff I want and too much stuff I like. There's an opportunity for you to run away from that. Or you can move through the difficulty, through the hard decisions, through keeping your focus, through the difficult times, and I guarantee you if you stick through it, you will grow. Your first budget may not be perfect. You may not know exactly how to do it. But if you keep moving forward, you will continue to grow. You don't just give up every time things don't work out the way you want them to work. Amen, somebody? But seeking God's kingdom agenda and doing what is going to please God and doing the things that He wants us to do, man, seeking that kingdom agenda means you're going to be uncomfortable. And you've just got to settle with that fact that seeking that kingdom agenda is going to make you uncomfortable. You, you've, you've got to settle in your heart that this is not going to just be something that I'm just going to breeze through, but rather there's going to be tons of opportunities for you to get discouraged, for you to be afraid, for you to want to quit, for you to throw your hands up in the air. But God wants us to keep moving forward because the kingdom agenda is often contrary to what we by nature are conditioned to. It pushes us outside of this idea of self-preservation and comfort. And it's a challenge because it's not second nature as much as it is a series of opportunities to allow the Spirit of God to renew our value system. Because even though we have Christ as our Savior, our value system still needs to be changed. That's why the Bible talks about renewing our minds. Because we have been patterned to think like the world wants us to think. We've been patterned to think after our own sinful, selfish ways. That's what got us into trouble in the first place in the Garden of Eden. But God wants us to change the way we think. He not only has rescued us and redeemed us, and He's wanting to have fellowship with us, but He's also wanting to renew and change 
the way that we think and what we value, what's important to us. Because we all know certain scriptures, and we all know what we're supposed to do, but oftentimes living those things is much more challenging than just knowing them. Amen, somebody? If you have your Bible, why don't you go ahead and go over to Matthew chapter 6. We'll look at one of those such scriptures. We'll look at the body of text instead of just uh, the famous verse of Matthew 6 and 33 so we can better contextualize what Jesus is saying because Jesus is actually the one who is speaking these words that were recorded by Matthew in Matthew 6. And let's start reading in verse 19, Matthew 6 and verse 19. Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So here's Jesus saying, you need to keep what God says is important at the forefront and not put your hope or your treasure in things that will get corrupted and corroded and go away. He said that stuff is not the focus. He said, instead, lay up treasures in heaven. Let's keep reading in verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? He's saying, so listen, you need to understand this is a value system that if you can see this thing clearly, it's going to affect everything in your life. If your eye can see clearly the value system of heaven and you begin to see what God values and you begin to value what he values, it's not just going to affect your eye, but it's literally going to flood your body with light. He said, if you refuse to see it and you want to stay in the darkness, then that is going to affect every part of your life. So you need to open yourself up to the light that he's trying to show you to reorient your value system so you can care about what God cares about and let him take care of the rest. Verse 24, now no one can serve two masters. Either he's going to hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So here we see in context, he's talking about money. He's talking about stuff that money can buy. He's saying, listen, you need to see the value system of heaven. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you're going to drink, nor for your body, what you're going to put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father, he takes care of them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Have you considered the lilies of the field, how they grow? They neither toil nor spin, but yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? The Gentiles, they seek after these things. And your heavenly Father, he knows you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, we've heard the scripture of Matthew 6 and 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All our things will be added unto you. Yeah, I know that. I've got a nice plaque in my home. I bought it at the fair. 
I got a t-shirt that says I've got a bumper sticker that says that. Matthew 6.33 is my screensaver on my desktop. How can we know that scripture so well of seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, but yet that one's so stinking difficult to live? It's so hard to actually seek first the kingdom of God because it's so easy to get drawn back into our own selfishness to where we're wanting to only exercise in the area of control the different things in our lives that we're going to do. So it's like if I can control it, then I'll participate in it. If I can control that person, I'll have a relationship with them. If I can't control it, then I'm going to run away from it because at heart, really, we want to just control everything. We want to only be able to dictate for our lives what, is, what, 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 what can happen to us or how other people can respond. And we avoid the things that we can't control. Living our lives in fear. Because people that are control freaks, man, which every one of us to a certain degree are, we live our lives in fear of the unknown. That's why we'll run away from challenges. That's why we run away from things that are difficult. It's why we run away from things that make us uncomfortable. Instead of having the difficult conversation, we run away because I can't control how that person responds. They might not respond the way I want them to. So because I can't control it, I avoid it. I can't control how that coworker is going to treat me. And so because I can't control it, I want to try to run away from the situation. And anything that we feel that we can't control, we avoid like the plague. Because it's uncomfortable. But yet the very thing God told us to do is don't worry about stuff. Instead, do what God wants you to do first, especially if it makes you uncomfortable. And he gives illustrations like, man, have you seen these birds? I know that some people love to buy bird feed and feed birds. They'll go and buy sacks of like 50-pound bird feed because they want to look at the birds, not the geese. They poop in our yards. The pretty birds that we want to look at. Get out of here, geese. Get out of my yard. But at the same time, if you never bought bird seed to feed those birds, would those birds starve? Are you like trying to prevent bird starvation? Are you like on a mission to rescue the birds of the world? No. Because those birds will eat whether you feed them or not. You plant flowers. We spend ridiculous amounts of money and time planting flowers and making sure that we have these beautiful gardens that we love to look at. Will flowers grow whether you plant them or not? Yeah, they will. Flowers will not cease to exist because you did not contribute. You do it for your own personal pleasure and enjoyment, and there's nothing wrong with that, but you're not trying to be a conservationist. Save the flowers! Save the birds! Why? Why do you not have to worry about flowers? Because guess what? They come up in my yard. And I'm not even asking for them to. Birds flying around eating stuff. And I didn't have anything to do with it. Why? Because God took care of them. God provided the systems and the structure in order to make sure that they were taken care of. That they would have what they needed. That's why they're still birds. That's why they're still flowers. Because God says, don't you know that I'm the one who made those things beautiful? Don't you know I'm the one who provides feed for the birds? Don't you know that I'm the one who has put all these things into motion and they don't have to do anything about it? God says, if they need something to drink, I'll give them water. They need something to eat, I'll provide the food and the nutrients. You and I don't provide the food and the nutrients, God does. He said, so if I take care of those, 
How much more special to you, I mean to God, are you than a bird or a flower? How much more do you matter to heaven and have an impact and influence on eternity more than a bird or a flower? He's trying to get you to see heaven's value system. So if we can sync up with heaven's value system, we can understand how to seek God's first. If we understand how to hook up with God's value system, then it's not about us worrying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? Where are we going to sleep? How are we going to do this? And we worry because we can't control all of those situations. He says, why are you being anxious? You can't serve both of these masters here. You can't try to store up for yourself stuff. Because you're afraid of what someone's going to take from you or what you may lose. Instead, why don't you see everything that you have been blessed with as a gift that you don't own, but rather a life that you've been called to steward? Because the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That means, guess what? You and I don't really own anything. It all belongs to God. You and I are called to be stewards, just like when we dedicated Gemma to the Lord this morning. Yes, she's a gift to us, but we can't own her and control her. We can only steward her life well and steward her heart well. Just like the things that you've even purchased with money, that money is still belonging to the Lord. And God, what do you want me to do? God, how can I... Steward my finances in a way that will accomplish your kingdom agenda in my life and in my family's life. Is it going to be easy? Probably not. But are you going to see the challenges as opportunities or are you going to keep running back to self and serving self? Over in 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you have your Bible, you can follow along with me if you want to. 1 Timothy chapter 6 reiterates this point. 1 Timothy 6, the Apostle Paul writing to young Timothy, let's start reading in verse 6. He says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we should be content. But those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. They've hurt themselves over their love for money. They've hurt relationships. They've hurt other people because they've put money ahead of those things. But as for you, O man of God, flee those things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which were made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to many things and of Jesus Christ who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen nor can see, to him be the honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them to not be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides for us everything to enjoy. Here's the thing, folks. God's will 
is not for you to be happy, healthy, and wealthy according to the American standard and the American dream. But rather, his will is for us to continue to grow in understanding what true joy is. That is contentment in Christ. That's true riches. That's the type of riches that don't rot, that don't rust, that can't be destroyed. Where we learn to be content in Christ. Where Jesus becomes enough for me. Where I don't have to have all these other things that I think that I need in order to be happy or fulfilled. If I have Christ, I should find happiness and joy and fulfillment in Him. Amen? Amen. And I should know that everything that He's gifted me with, whether it's money, whether it's stuff, whether it's job, whether it's influence, whether it's position, is to be used for His glory and not for my contentment. Because Jesus is my contentment. Jesus is my joy. Jesus is my peace. Why on earth? Would Jesus say that he is not satisfactory enough to be everything that you need so it's Jesus plus all this other stuff will make you happy? So it's Jesus plus all this other stuff will give you peace? Or Jesus is somehow the gateway to all those things so you can use Jesus to try to get everything you think will make you happy? No, you're bypassing the source and that's Jesus. Jesus is the source of peace. Jesus is the source of joy. Jesus is the source of true life. Man, so many times we miss it because we think that we've got to have. We think that we've got to do this or be this person or have this type of position or influence in order to matter or be significant. But rather saying, how could I find my contentment in Christ seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? And guess what? Everything else, He'll begin to take care of. Then all of a sudden you begin to find out once you find that contentment in Christ that He supplies all of your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Amen, somebody? You see, Jesus wants us to learn what to truly seek. What to really seek first, and that's His agenda. The things that we used to obsess over before Jesus came into our lives, they're not nearly as important to us as they used to be if we've truly found Jesus as our source of hope. It's like, yep, I used to be all about pursuing this certain title at work. I used to be all about pursuing the certain type of dollar amount that I wanted to have. I used to be all about that. And that used to be your driving focus. And unless you had that house or lived in that neighborhood or drove that car, you felt insignificant. You felt like you didn't matter. When Christ is saying, man, why are you worrying about that stuff? Why do you think you have to have all those things in order to find your identity? Don't you know that it's Christ who has truly put value upon you by saying, hey, you're worth enough for me to come and to die on the cross for. Amen, somebody. He wants us to learn and to truly seek first his kingdom. So we need to embrace the uncomfortable as an opportunity to grow. We need to embrace it because the uncomfortable is going to come, especially if you want to be a kingdom agenda person. If you want to be a person who's about the Father's business, there are going to be things that will come along that are going to be uncomfortable, decisions that you have to make that are going to be uncomfortable decisions. They're not going to be second nature. They're not going to be the easy thing. They're not maybe even going to be the natural thing that you necessarily want to do because there's this war going on between this selfish stuff in us and God trying to reorient our heart to be selfless and to bring Him glory and to grow through those times. 
But when those things come, whether it's something you've created or whether it's something that happens from outside circumstances, instead of viewing that as something you want to run away from because you can't control it, why don't instead you embrace it and move forward and say, God, this could be my opportunity to keep moving forward and seeking you first in this kingdom agenda. And I think God does that on an individual level with each one of you, and he is doing it with some of you right now because you're open to what the Holy Spirit's wanting to do in your heart. And the Holy Spirit is bringing up to you these things that Pastor Derek's not preaching about. I'm not picking on you or naming you, but the Holy Spirit is bubbling those things up and you're beginning to go, yeah, I know what I need to do. And yeah, it is uncomfortable. But he's going to keep reminding you because he loves you. And he can use me to do that. He can use other people to do that. He can use the scripture to do that when you're just reading on your own. But it's uncomfortable. And it's not always easy. But if we move forward, you will grow. So what we have to say is not our will, but his will. Isn't that how Jesus taught us to pray anyways? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And didn't he promise that even if we move forward through the difficult times, that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that we're supposed to do what? Not fear any evil. Why? Because he's with us, right? And that through the difficulty that he would comfort us. See, what have you been avoiding that God has set up as an opportunity for you to grow? Or rather this, I think this is the bigger one for us today. What have we been delaying because of discomfort? What has God thrust you into that you've been uncomfortable with, but it's time to embrace it and move forward? And it's your opportunity to grow. It's your opportunity to seek first the kingdom of God and stop worrying about the outcome. It's time to start seeking the kingdom of God first and stop worrying about what you're going to lose or what you can't control. What's that thing that he's putting before you that he's saying, hey, I want you to step out in this and I want you to move forward because this is your opportunity to grow. It's not easy going through that, but I promise you, he's faithful and he's good. Because when I read Matthew 6 and I hear the words of Jesus talking about the birds and the flowers and how we're not supposed to worry, how we're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God. You know the overarching theme that I hear screaming out of that passage of Scripture is that God is good. That's what I hear. And I think that's the hardest part for us to grasp is that God is good. Because we say, yeah, well, but I need the stuff. I need to have this or I need to have that. He's saying, yeah, but God is good. Uh, yeah, but, but, but what about this? But why are you worrying? God is good. Yeah, but this is difficult. This is hard. Yeah, but God is good. And if we really believe God is good and he's really faithful, like we sing that he is, like we write that he is, like we read that he is, like we hear that he is, like we amen that he is, then we can trust him regardless of the challenges we may face. Amen, somebody. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.